It's April 17th, 2011, and you're listening to the Architecture Happy Hour. I'm Laura. And I'm Larry. And it's a two-drink minimum, so grab your glass and let's get started. Well, so it's April. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're already way, way into April. It's yeah, I don't know when that happened. Hard to believe it's gone by that quickly, but here we are. We've been busy, which is good. Right. Nothing wrong with that. Well, and you were out of town for a little while, right? Yeah, I was in uh, Atlanta for a few days doing the Environments for Aging conference, which turned out to be really quite interesting in all sorts of various ways. Well, and share why exactly you were at the <laughs> Environments for Aging conference. For those of you who don't know, we actually have a second company called HPD Design for Living, and we're focusing on the aging in place market, helping seniors and people with disabilities stay in their homes. So I thought, well, the Environments for Aging Conference could be an interesting um, venue, venue, conference, I guess, whatever, could be an interesting conference to check out. They were doing a special track this year for the education classes on, specifically on aging in place. And so I thought, well, that'll be you know, an interesting conference to go to, meet some other architects, meet other people in the industry, just in the, um, I guess, senior care industry, and find out what's really going on and what the trends are. And, and what exactly <clears throat> is aging in place, Larry? What's aging in place? She's going to ask me this. <laughs> what do you want to Quiz, call it? Quiz. Quiz. What's aging in place? It's actually being, for us, well, for us, for our purposes, it's about people being able to stay in their homes longer. And to have a home that's safe and accessible and they don't have to move into an assisted living facility or into a retirement community. Interestingly enough, at the conference, a lot of what was talked about aging in place meant aging in place in our retirement community or in our assisted living facility. Right. Come to us and you can age in place. Right. And it seemed... A little different from our definition. Quite a bit different. And there were a couple of things. I had a couple of a roundtable meetings where they were talking about some different things that were going on within more urban neighborhoods where they were having naturally occurring retirement communities and the whole area was built up kind of around that. People didn't ever leave their homes. It just sort of naturally became this retirement community. But for the most part, everyone's talking about, well, let's age in place in our community, in our, in our facility, in our you know, whole new residential development. I mean, and, and we're talking complete development. Right. You know, everything yeah. from retail shops to individual apartments to assisted living, all in one spot. But you come and age in place there, which seemed kind of contrary to what we were. Yeah, and it is kind of an interesting concept because at least we we are thinking about what is needed and what is necessary to create a nice community in a nice area to grow older in because needs change and abilities change and so at least it's being talked about. Well, it's being talked about, but it was it was a little. Dis- I was expecting a little more, I think, from the aging in place uh, education track than what I got. But anyway, it was it was a good conference, and my friends uh, Philip and Brian have to say hello to them because they put me up for the few days that I was there, and Philip drove me around, which I really did appreciate, and took me to some fantastic food. I mean, really good food, places that. Obviously, if you didn't live in Atlanta, you would never have gone to or ever found because one of the places, it was in an old warehouse district or, I guess, warehouse building, but you had to bypass the 
active warehouses to get to the restaurant, which is in part of the one one of the warehouses. It was really, really strange. You would never have guessed there was a really great, great restaurant back there. Cool. And also had the opportunity to meet some really great people there. Uh, met an interior designer from Houston named Mary Lee Kaner, who is also doing aging in place along the same lines we're doing, mm-hmm. but as in, from the interior designer perspective. And she thought same thing. She thought she'd come to the conference and see what was going on. And she actually used to be an attorney, was an attorney for 10 years. Really? And then decided, well, I'm really not meant to do this, and I should have gone and gotten my architecture or my interior design degree. And so she finished it up. And I had a great presentation. Well, I didn't have one. I went to a really great presentation on, I think it was the next to the last day of the conference. These two, one from Seattle, one from Philadelphia, got together to do this presentation, and it was the last presentation of the day. It was right before they were going to do the um, networking happy hour buffet alcohol thing, and the room was packed. I mean, it was full of people, and I gave this fantastic presentation. They were up. They were funny. They were very energized about what they were talking about, and all I could think was, where were you people at 8 o'clock this morning? I was <laughs> falling asleep in my universal design seminar. Oh, went, no. Just, oh, I could have used you this morning. Of course, the Benadryl was kicking in. I was in there <laughs> chugging caffeine like crazy, and they would have been quite the bright spot. And apparently, in the morning seminars that they do, they actually do yoga. Really? Make everyone get up and do a quick, like, little five-minute yoga thing to kind of wake everyone up and get uh-huh. all the, the blood flowing and stuff. And then they give their presentation, I oh, thought. Oh, that's funny. That would have been really good. Yeah, keep that in mind for our next presentation. There we go. Everyone up, do jumping jacks. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. But the really interesting thing about the conference was something that was going on in tandem with the conference. And I'm just going to let everyone who hears this go look it up for themselves because I, it's too hard to explain. At the same time our conference was starting, another conference was coming to an end called Furries in Wonderland. So you walk into the hotel, and there are people standing there with animal feet, little hats with ears on them, and some people in full animal regalia or costume. I mean, it was incredibly weird and odd and kind of sort of gave a different life to the conference (laughs) because they kept showing up in other people's presentations. I mean, they were like, someone had taken a, a snapshot of a couple of the furries in full costume sitting at one of the bars in the hotel. Oh, actually, in the PowerPoint In the PowerPoint presentation oh, popped up. So, yeah, it was <laughs> it was an interesting combination of... Kind uh, of an inside joke, right? Running, running through the, all conference. the attendees oh, of yeah. your conference. Oh, yeah, complete inside joke, but absolutely, I won't say hilarious, but it was just such an odd, it was such a dichotomy. I mean, it's people who want to know about elderly and aging in place and this whole I won't say trend in architecture but really it's becoming that because of the baby boomers yeah and then all these kids in their 20s maybe early 30s dressed up like animals it was very strange <laughs> anyway like one said, whole group totally facing reality and the other one totally escaping reality yes yeah yes two totally different ideas <laughs> of what that might be but anyways like I said I'm going to let you guys go look it up because it's just too weird. You didn't bring us any photos? No, sorry. Ugh. Sorry. Although, they, interestingly enough, they were happy to pose oh, for I photos. Imagine. I mean, they were more than happy to, <laughs> and more than happy to share with you their furry philosophy anyway. Oh, oh, this was so strange. But I had a great time, and it was a good conference. And hopefully next year when the next conference comes around, they'll have that same sort of aging in place track, but it will have developed a little more and 
we can I don't know maybe we can actually contribute to it yeah that would be great that'd be great well and hopefully Larry will write a blog post for us and we can put that up a little summary of his what I did on my summer vacation yeah I, I, I keep thinking what do I label it when worlds collide I mean I, I don't know because <laughs> you know how do you write about the the conference without writing about the furries but anyway that's not really the point of the podcast today <laughs> kind of sort of getting off track here we really wanted to talk about we were going to do lead and why it matters and we thought well that sounds like a snooze fest so we thought well let's yeah. talk about architecture and architects and movies because like doctors who have to watch stuff on tv and you're like oh well, that's just totally not real yeah oh, that, it just doesn't happen that way yeah. yeah yeah we're the same way whenever we see an architect in a movie so we thought we'd start off with architects, you know, actors who've actually portrayed architects in movies. Mm-hmm. We have, we've done, doing a little research and pulling out some names, and so we have almost a list of, real quick list of just off the top of our heads and what's been popping up. Right. Well, of course, one of my favorites is Tom Hanks in Sleepless in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, totally unrealistic, but we love him anyway. The, one of my favorites that came up was Charles Bronson in Death Wish. I mean, really? Architect by day, I don't say killer by night. I don't know what what is he like. Um, what's what I'm looking for? Well, it's gone. <laughs> the <laughs> words like a mercenary. Mercenary. A, there we is go. Is that the one? Mercenary. Oh, okay. Mercenary by night. I'm like, how do you put those two together in a movie? But I guess it works. I don't know. Night school. What's your problem? Well, and then there's always Gary Cooper in Fountainhead, which is back in the 30s, I think it was. Yeah, that one's been around for a long time. Yeah. We have several that are older movies. Of course, Tom Selleck in Three Men and a Baby was one of my early favorites. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's the interesting part was seeing how few women portrayed as architects. And mm-hmm. we found a handful. There's Michelle Pfeiffer in One Fine Day, Kimberly Williams in Father of the Bride, which was totally unrealistic. She's, <laughs> I'm 22 and I've graduated architecture school and my husband will move wherever I go because I'm a fabulous designer. All right. Yeah, honey, that's the way it works. <laughs> you betcha. Maybe she had a fabulous mentor that just opened lots of doors for her. Maybe so. Who knows? Yeah. But then um, one of my favorites was John Stewart and Playing by Heart. And, and we'll get into that a little more why it became one of my favorites. Just Well, one, I like John Stewart. And he's actually really good in this movie. But there's sort of multiple components to him and his character that sort of trickle through what we're going to talk about today. Of course, we can't talk about architects without talking about Robert Reed's lovely portrayal of Mike Brady as the architect from the Brady Bunch. Of course. But better than that is Gary Cole's portrayal of Mike Brady in the Brady Bunch movie because it really took that idea of, you know, Mike is the architect and sort of stuck in the time warp of being in the 60s and every design he was presenting was their house but it was a gas station it was their house with his workout facility but yeah but i mean everything you know that was his you know but his designs were a classic that's right <laughs> yeah anyway but that's just a just a short list of of what we found more more so than the architects is really what kind of interests us is how they're portrayed in the movies, how you have that sort of a recurring stereotypical image of the architect, like whatever, what every screenwriter has seen as an architect, or every director has seen as an architect, or whoever's you know producing this film. Oh, that's not an architect. He looks like this. 
Right. Well, we were talking about when you see doctors in movies, you always have to see them in a white coat. Or, you know, there's certain little signals, even probably some more subtle than that, but there's little things that you have to see and that triggers, oh, that person's an architect. Yeah. Because there's a roll of drawings on their desk or... They all have drafting tables. <laughs> oh, that swing arm lamp. That They must be an architect. <laughs> they must be an architect. Right. But it is those little things that just keep popping up. Like, I, I don't know that there's ever been one where there hasn't been a model of something. Right. Not necessarily building. what they're building, or but something they've built, or, you know, even in the, the screenshot from Death Wish, there's Charles Bronson standing behind this incredibly huge, huge model. Well, it makes me laugh because when you see models nowadays, it's developers. Yeah. Developers have the models. No clients anymore can really afford a model. Right. You know, if they're just hiring an architect. Maybe yeah. maybe large-scale developments and that sort of thing. If you're needing to fundraise, I guess, is, yeah. is where you would need one. But I certainly haven't seen one in years. Well, we haven't <laughs> done one in years, you think about it. Yeah. We really haven't. Yeah. Well, and the other image that you always get, too, is that, you know, clearly we have money. I mean, how else do we afford these fantastic houses that we live in? Well, sure. And our leisurely life that would allow us to go, <laughs> you know, take our, our young son out to the beach and play football and have fun and take our motorboat back to our, our um, dock house, you know. Right, yeah. Of course, we know what the realities are. Well, and, yes, the realities are that uh, unless you're a superstar architect— you probably live in a pretty normal house. In fact, you may even live in the suburbs unless you're in a, a big city. Yeah. I guess, you know, like New York or something. But yeah, but even that, we don't, you know, live in this house with a fantastic view of the L.A. skyline. Yeah. And some super-duper loft in New York that's $3 million. It just isn't real. Right, yeah. It's Well, and for the, the big thing for us is that it's pretty much always a work in progress. Nothing ever really gets finished. That just is with the territory, I yeah. think. There's always another another project to do. One of the guys that I used to work with, well, he was just an interior designer, but at some point he had gone through their house and pulled up all the carpets, so all that was left was the exposed concrete slab. Oh, no. And I, I think it had been that way for two years when I met him. Wow. And if not for the fact that they were looking at having children, I don't know <laughs> that they ever would have gotten anything back on the floor. Well, I found that things only get done around our house if there is a really serious deadline. Yeah. Like the in-laws are coming. Family is coming. Yes. Uh, I think 24 hours before I was supposed to host a baby shower at our house, um, the hardwood floors were being put in, and we were hanging curtains. And we couldn't put the furniture back on the floors until the adhesive had dried. And so literally hours before we were gently moving the couches back yeah. and the rug back and yeah yeah well you know and and i'm from my perspective it's bad enough that that james has to live with me mm-hmm. because you know one architect one non-architect you kind of maybe balance each other out a little bit and he, he gets it so there's not a whole a whole bunch of drama surrounded by it but, this, but at the same time, to have two of you in the house, because, you yes. know, Bob's the ar- other architect. Right, yeah, I am married So you have architect. that. Well, it's kind of funny, because you would think that we're both lots of, we get into projects and we want to do this and do that, and, and that's not necessarily the personality of every architect, because Bob is more interested in, you know, 
he wants his weekends to go play and go do stuff and not work on the house. So I, if I, I'm more, I guess, the one to start the project and maybe it gets done, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> I think maybe he's just, if he starts a project, he just wants to crank it out so he can get back to, to doing whatever. To doing stuff. Yeah. But it wow. does take us a really long time to pick a paint color or figure out what we're going to do or, yeah. 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 There's a lot of discussion beforehand. Yeah. I think I've drawn, redrawn our floor plans a couple of times now. Mm-hmm. I think I'm on version number three or four. And this one involves have having a second story. So we have a little more room. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm like, oh, no, okay. Well, we'll try that path for a little bit and see where it goes. <laughs> Mind you, our bathrooms still aren't finished. And they still need right. to be redone. But yeah. I'm thinking about adding a second floor for sure, a master of suite. Why not? Of course. One of the other realities is that you really can't find a drafting table anywhere. I mean, hardly anybody has one anymore. And if they do, nine times out of ten, it's covered by drawings and magazines and product cut sheets. And they haven't used it in years. In fact, Holly's dad, our partner Holly, her dad's 87, and he switched over to CAD sometime when he was in his 70s. So I don't know the last time it was that he really used a drafting table. And this is someone who grew up. I mean, that oh, was sure. his training really was. Yeah. He did everything by hand. Mm-hmm. And now he's calling us with questions about, I'm trying to do this in AutoCAD. What is, you know, click, 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 and where do I click? And what's in, uh, But really, when you think about it, I mean, if you've been in an office forever, it's kind of it's just there and we don't ever make changes yeah. unless absolutely forced to so <laughs> you know yeah, if it's there true. and plus holy moly they're heavy yeah they weigh a ton <laughs> those old ones they are heavy yeah yeah most of the time it just becomes a place to organize your stacks right. <laughs> we get to see how architects are portrayed in movies but more importantly there's also the aspect of the architecture in movies and all the imagery that you get and the first thing that we really think of, you know, there's those iconic images that are in film. And it's the green and greenhouse from Back to the Future, or it's the Flatiron Building. Oh, my God. How many movies or oh, yeah. television shows have shown the Flatiron Building as a setting? I'm like, we all know what it is. We all know where it is. Let's go look at something else. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those that made the list early on, and and everybody's used it. Yeah. Plus, we'll put photos of these on the on the blog oh, and the website. So if you can't remember what the Flatiron Building looks like, we'll jog your memory. Yeah, but the fun thing is when you watch a movie and the architecture really takes on, it almost becomes another character in the movie. The way that the the people characters are interacting with it, right. it really creates. A special part of the movie because if you were to take it away yeah. it wouldn't be the same movie yeah well you know the Empire State Building is one of those images that's just over and over again you know mm-hmm. King Kong and the Fair to Remember even Independence Day when they blew it up you know it's like <laughs> yeah they're blowing up the Empire State Building Woo-hoo! and it did very well I mean you know they did sure. a great job of it <laughs> but you know other things the Sears Tower in Ferris Bueller, which is now known as the Willis Tower, which galls me to no end. <laughs> but for those youngsters out there, it used to be called the Sears Tower. You know, Sears Roebuck? Hello? Anyone? Yeah. No, that was the reason we went to go see it when I visited. Yeah. There was because I remembered it from the movie. Yeah. Well, and as residential architects, there's some, some houses and things that you just see over and over again. And one of the big ones 
is the Stahl House in L.A. It was a case study house that was done in the 50s, I think. But it's been in Nurse Betty, Galaxy Quest, and here's where we're coming back to John Stewart because it's in the movie Playing by Heart, where he's an architect. Clearly he's doing quite well for himself because he's living in the Stahl House. He has a drafting table in his bedroom. Hello. <laughs> I mean, could you be more stereotypical architect? You know, you're living in this fantastic house looking out over the L.A. skyline. And I've got a drafting table in my bedroom, and I'm clearly doing quite well for myself. It's just nuts. But, yeah, it just you yeah. know, came back to that for me, and I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some things don't change as yeah. much as they do in reality. <laughs> well, and then there was an, another architect that, I'm I'm a fan of that I really like a lot of his work. His name is John Lautner, and he had studied with Frank Lloyd Wright out, out at Taliesin and actually had helped build Taliesin West. Believe it or not, a lot of his houses in L.A. or in California end up in the movies, starting with the James Bond films, some of the early James Bond movies. One of the houses is in the, I guess, first Charlie's Angels movie, then Lethal Weapon 2, which is, just cracked me up because they attached Mel Gibson's dually pickup to the the structure of the house and pulled it off of its moorings. Oh, good grief. Like, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. And most recently, if you've seen A Single Man, it was uh, came out in 2009. Colin Firth was nominated for an Oscar for it for 2010. Oh, I need to see that. And there is a house, the house that he lives in, it's very fitting to the time period it's very fitting to his character to the the feel of the movie but it's one of it's one of john lautner's houses Mm -hmm. and uh, currently for sale if you have a million and a half that you feel like spending on a two-bedroom one and a half bath well and don't get too attached to it because they'll probably want to film more movies in it right (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know go put your kids pictures up all over the walls yeah well you know it i was just thinking of what's kind of fun is when you see in a movie architecture that you recognize that maybe most people probably wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And what I'm thinking of is um, I went to high school in Park City, Utah. Yeah. And they have, there's a wonderful historic main street there, and there's several buildings that uh, showed up in Dumb and Dumber. Probably for most people, if you've never been to Park City, it just looks like another old building or another old main street. Mm-hmm. But I'm watching it and going, Oh, my God, my first job was in that T-shirt shop. Oh, my God, I went to, I used to study in that library. Oh my. So that's kind of a really fun when you see something that yeah. is a little obscure, but you know you've been there, or maybe, it's, maybe it is something famous, but you have visited there in person. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's another way that we all connect to movies and, and the characters and, yeah. that are being portrayed in front of that architecture. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Well, and, and like you said, when the architecture is one of the characters... I mean, you think about right. it, like, we were talking, one of the last Born movies, the Born Ultimatum, mm-hmm. there's a um, scene in Morocco? I think so. He's so. in Morocco. Yeah. But he is, it's basically a chase scene on foot, but they're going from house to house and blasting through windows. Yeah, and, leaping roof to roof. You know, and, yeah. beating each other up in showers. I mean, you know. That's, like they do in the Born movies, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the architect was very much a part of that scene, mm-hmm. you know, because they were doing it above you know, above the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It creates a lot of suspense and, and uh, you know, mystery, and the lighting is always a huge deal, and mm-hmm. all of that is either helped or hurt by where they choose to film it. Yeah. Well, and, and at the same time, we were talking about Fargo, 
because mm-hmm. if anybody's seen Fargo, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> oh geez, I'm gonna barf. <laughs> anyway, it's such a great movie for so many weird reasons. For so many weird reasons, but but you were saying the architecture is very. Well, it's almost non-existent, but for that reason, it's so important to the movie because it is your everyday, ordinary Americana kind of backdrop. The car dealership, small town. Yeah. Small town the, I thought I think even the last scene where he gets arrested and it's in some roadside motel. You know, the the, yeah. the I won't say stereotypical, but that small I won't say small town. Even it's roadside Americana. It's mm-hmm. you know you're traveling through a town and there's the two-story, you know, door opens out onto the common mm-hmm. walkway kind of thing, hotel. And, right. Or motel, I guess, really. Yeah. But, yeah, but it's... A, yeah, so there's nothing really special about it except that it's so familiar. Yeah. Yeah, so it, in in a way, it sort of unifies everybody who's watching that movie, yeah. gives you something common to relate to. Yeah. Uh, but still, it's not trying to steal the show. Right. Well, on the other side of that, too, there's, you know, we were talking about When Harry Met Sally and Sex in the City and The Double Wears Prada, where New York is such a big part of those movies, mm-hmm. but they really are just a backdrop for the movie. But, you know, you try to picture, take those and set them in Chicago, would it be the same, set them in L.A., how it, would things be different? You know, but, but the architecture's there and you're just not really... Well, or set them in Tucson. Yeah. Or... <laughs> Albuquerque. Right, or, yeah, Denver, or someplace that doesn't quite look like that. Right. Those locations. Yeah, the architecture really plays an important part to all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my big thing, I love period pieces, and which James absolutely cannot stand. If I, <laughs> I want to watch one, I have to do it by myself, because he's like, <laughs> falling Uh-oh. asleep on the couch. I'm like, thanks. But these Merchant Ivory-type films that, there are these huge, you know, it's the country estate, these gigantic, you know, English countryside homes that really provide a lot to the, I mean, it's, it's the backdrop for the film and mm-hmm. it really plays a big part of it. Especially, I think we were talking about Pride and Prejudice because mm-hmm. you see the house. Yeah, it tells you a whole lot about the family situation and the history behind what the family's gone through and maybe how precarious their future could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, I found myself thinking, wow, I really understand a lot about these people before they ever really got to explaining it through dialogue and, um, you know, and actually discussing it in the, through the course of the movie. You see the house and yeah. you think, ah. So I thought that was really well done because you could tell it was at one time a really nice country estate manor, mm-hmm. except that now when we're looking at it through their eyes, it's, a little bit in disrepair and they don't have the means to keep it up and mm-hmm. so it's kind of it was interesting yeah one of my favorites uh the age of innocence a lot of that it's new york in the late 1800s and it's that architecture of the very wealthy the very upper class mm-hmm. and they were building you know their homes were on fifth avenue you look at fifth, fifth avenue now there's nothing really there to even give you that give you that idea that that's one of the homes, mm-hmm. uh, or they had you know that kind of home there. The next time you're watching a movie, take a look at it for the architecture. I know that a lot of times you of course you're going there to see the explosions or see whatever, but if you're in a movie and you're realizing oh, this really sucks, uh, uh, <laughs> you might question 
question why you're actually sitting through that right, movie at right, that point. At that yeah. point. But, you know, if, if it's not connecting, you know, start looking for those other things. Look for the architecture. One of the last few movies that I saw in the theater was the new Wall Street movie, the remake of it, with Gordon Gecko and, and all those characters. But one, one of the things I did notice in there is that they really did use interior design to help tell the story. And I didn't expect to, to notice that when I mm-hmm. went to see the movie because I just... We just went because we loved the first one so much, but that really kind of struck me. And I, I went, of course, at that point I was already doing social media for us and got on Twitter and started to, you know, some of the websites. And, and there were other people talking about it too, how they were kind of struck by that they had, the filmmakers had used that as part of the story. Hmm. So. Well, how was the movie? Oh, it was fine. I could probably <laughs> loved it, hated it, you know. It, it was fine enough that she recognized she was paying attention to the interior design. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I was looking at the wall coverings and the furnishings. Right. No. Of course. And it's always fun to see how Hollywood's going to portray, well, any profession, you know, doctors, attorneys. Oh, they have fun with attorneys. Yeah. Um, and, of course, architects. For us, it's fun to watch the architects because you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's so not real. <laughs> And you got to wonder, though, as technology is progressing, are we going to start seeing the same images over? Are we going to see drafting tables and rolls of drawings? Are we going to see these guys whipping out their iPads and doing 3D imagery of what your building's going to look like? Right. I mean, what's what's going to be the the progression for representing an architect? Are they going to try to stick to the same old, same old that we all have drafting tables and T squares yeah. and yeah, in the you know, kind of old school thinking, but we've also seen new sort of futuristic films like Minority Report or Inception, where mm-hmm. they really start to challenge how we actually perceive architecture and uh, just the whole technology side of how we view or imagine or dream or think about our surroundings and our environment. Yeah. I think there's going to be probably more play with that, too. So all of you guys have a lot of homework to go and do, I guess. You know, so if you f- if you have a favorite movie that you'd like to watch over and over again, next time you pop it in, watch it and look at, look for the architecture in it and look to see how that's portrayed and how important it is to the overall story. Of course, if you're like me, you'll just stop paying attention to everything else and follow the storyline. <laughs> you know. Well, and if you think of something that we've missed. Um, we'd love to hear what your favorite movie is or what you've thought about some of these that we may have mentioned. Mm-hmm. We're going to be putting more about this on our blog, on the Dallas Architect blog. So if you'll go to thearchitecturehappyhour.com and you can post a comment for us. Let us know what you think. Of course, as always, if you're in Dallas and you want to visit with us in person, feel free. We have the Architecture Happy Hour. We actually have that coming up this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And we do that once a month, the third Wednesday of every month, changing locations. So get on meetup.com, look up the Architecture Happy Hour, and check us out. And, of course, you can also find our website, hpdarch.com. And if you want to look at the Design for Living website, it's hpdliving.com. And find out what that's all about since we rambled on for about five minutes on that beginning. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) hope everyone's having a great spring so far. And we will see you back in May when I get back from the AIA convention in yes, New Orleans. New Orleans. Hopefully I'll be able to remember what it was that I actually <laughs> learned. Anyway. Please write things down as uh, you do yes. them. So you I, will, I will make copious notes. Before you go out at night, please. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we will do that. Okay. Well, everybody cross your fingers for Larry in New Orleans. Then. Mm. Or if you're there, stop him and say hi. Stop by and say hi. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I've got. That's all we've got. And this is Larry. And I'm Laura. And we're going to talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.